Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. So today we're starting our new sermon series. Uh, this is our graphic. Here it comes. There we are. Now, many of you have asked, that's not in Riverside, that's not Riverside Sofa. Um, that, is, that is just really to help us think about this whole concept of, of growing. Um, do you remember when, I remember this very clear, my parents would take me, my mum particularly, would take me to get new school shoes? Clarks normally, because they were the best. And you'd meet a, a person there with a strange instrument that slid up and down. Your, your foot would go on this thing, and they'd slide it down, they'd get a measurement of your foot, and then they'd go away and get some shoes that were two or three sizes bigger than that. Because your mum wanted growing room in them. Yeah? Because shoes are so expensive. And, they, and she didn't want you to grow to them like in a couple of weeks because you grew very quickly at that age. So the lady would squeeze the toe, wouldn't she? Yeah, plenty of growing room. And so you'd go to school with these great clown shoes on and they wouldn't fit you <laughs> for six months. And then you'd be in the sweet spot for about a month when they fitted you. Then they'd be too small for six months because they were too expensive to replace. Growing room is, is so important. We think about it a lot when we're young because we realise that children are growing at such a rate, aren't they? And to put a child in a shoe that's too small would potentially damage their feet. At worst, you know, give them, um, you know, damage their feet, give them blisters, or potentially even seriously <clears throat> deform them long term. We tend to think less about growing when we get to what we call, you know, we've stopped growing. We tend to not think about growth quite as much. But if you follow Jesus, you really should be preoccupied with growth. Because Jesus is preoccupied with growth. He's preoccupied with um, the dynamic nature of the kingdom. He spoke about the kingdom like using a word called uh, dunamis or dunamis, which means um, something with incredible potential power. It's the word we get our word dynamite from. And so he spoke about seeds of kingdom. He spoke about yeast of the kingdom. And all these things have this inherent power to expand. You ever use that foam in, in, when you've done building? You squirt it in, that expanding foam. Lethal stuff. You squirt a small piece in there, you think, that's about right, suddenly, and you get on your hands, you can't get rid of it, it's everywhere. The kingdom's like that, it expands exponentially. That's the nature of the kingdom. And when we have the Holy Spirit within us, God is calling us to also expand exponentially. He said, I'm calling you to bear fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold, 100 times who you are, is the fruit that God expects in our lives, because we're called to grow with the kingdom. And he talks about new wineskins. He talks about all sorts of metaphors that help us understand that following Jesus is about growth. It's not about being static or stationary. And that does bring challenge, doesn't it? Because we like to uh, get ourselves comfortable. We like to get ourselves sat down, pitch right, and, and we're happy. But God says, no, we're on the move again. And in fact, I was reminded of when the Israelites were following the, uh, the cloud of fire, sorry, the cloud and, and, the, uh, and the pillar of fire in the, in the wilderness. And every time the, the cloud or the pillar stopped, they had to camp and they had to build the tabernacle, which was quite an involved process. It was quite, a, quite involved for the Levites to construct this, this mobile worship space that the Ark of the Covenant lived inside. And some days they'd camp for a year, and some days they'd camp for like a day. And can you imagine the Levites? They've put it all up, they've finished it, they've just finished it all off, and then the cloud starts to move off again. They're like, what? Take the whole thing down again. And off they move. They followed the cloud, and then up it went again. What was God doing? What was God doing? I think he was teaching them obedience. Will you follow me? Will you follow me? 
So when, when the cloud moves, when the pillar of fire moves off, you follow. And there's no rhyme or reason to it in Scripture. Sometimes it's long, sometimes it's short. We don't know, but literally God was saying, will you follow me? Will you be obedient to follow me? And so as believers, as followers of Christ, we're in the business of following and growing. The Bible speaks about your faith growing in 2 Corinthians. It talks about you growing in maturity in Ephesians. It talks about us growing in unity. It talks about us growing in our grace and in our knowledge of God. And it talks about the gospel growing and bearing fruit in the whole world. So you're in the growing business if you are a Christian. Amen? Okay. And with that growth comes fruit. And what I love about scripture, it's so simple. Jesus said you'll, you can judge a person by their fruit. And that's really helpful because sometimes it's tricky to figure out what's going on inside a person's head, isn't it? They might be doing one thing or saying something else. But you can judge them by their fruit, Jesus said. So you can look at their lives and look at the fruit of their lives and you can judge what's going on the inside by what's appearing on the outside. And that's really helpful. And he called his followers to be fruitful. And he's so preoccupied with making us fruitful that he prunes us, which sometimes can be painful. Ever been pruned? Anyone like prunes? No. Um, Pruning is to produce a more fruitful crop in a plant or a bush or a vine. It's cut back and then that produces, that invigorates growth within the particular plant. And so sometimes God comes into our lives and he starts snipping away and pruning back to encourage new growth that will become even more fruitful, it says in John 15. But to have good fruit, we need good roots, close. (laughs) (laughs) To have good fruit, you need good, that's a rhyme, it's Christian. You need good roots. And it says in Jeremiah 17, it says this, it talks about roots. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water, that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. And this is painting this beautiful picture of this this tree planted by a stream and its water that is next to that stream. So even when a drought comes and there's no visible water on the surface, this tree is still tapping into deeper water. And so its leaves are always green, regardless of circumstance or situation, regardless of the drought that's prevailing. And it's a beautiful picture of someone who is putting their trust deep into God. Because regardless of what's happening in that person's life, their trust goes deeper. It goes beyond their circumstance into deep soil, and it finds deep waters. And these waters nourish and still produce life. And it's a picture for all of us, for the heart of God for you and I, that we would thrive on this earth regardless of circumstance, because our roots go deep into Christ. We draw his life into us, and that goes beyond circumstance and situation and prevailing culture. And we never fail to bear fruit. Isn't that amazing? Never fail. Every season, fruitful, fruitful, fruitful. That's God's heart for you in your life. Every season of your life, young, middle-aged, old, every season, never fail to bear fruit. That's God's heart for you. So why the Psalms then? What's this got to do with the Psalms? Well, the theologian N.T. Wright said this. He said, the Psalms represent the Bible's own spiritual root system for the great tree we call Christianity. I'll say that again. The Psalms represent the Bible's own spiritual root system for the great tree we call Christianity. 
If you're a gardener, you, you probably find that you need to repot things periodically, yeah? Because they get pot-bound, don't they? You pull them out, and all the, all the roots are all intertwined and mashed up and literally have been confined by the pot. And what the Psalms do, they give us room to grow. They're one of the, the, the methods that God uses. They provide a container for us that's big enough for us to grow up and mature in God. As our, our root system develops and grows, then we grow as individuals too. The Psalms have been used for millennia by the church in this way, to provide a framework for growth. They've been used across all cultures, all different denominations, to bring prayer and praise to God. And they're a wonderful mechanism to help us grow up in God. And regular praying or even singing the Psalms can be transformational in your own spiritual life. Billy Graham said he read through the Psalms every month, all of them, all, all Psalms every month, to teach him how to get along with God. They gave him a mechanism to connect with God at a deeper level. And that growing room is available to all of us today. So I want to encourage us into the Psalms over these next five weeks. I want to discover more of the treasure in the Psalms. Over centuries, they've helped the Christian church to grow. And we shouldn't take that for granted. We should recognize there's treasure here to be found and things are going to help us grow together. So often we try and fit God into our world, don't we? You're guilty of that? Trying to fit God into your world, into your framework, into your situation. You've got everything mapped out. God's in that corner and things are in this corner. You've got everything sorted out. The Psalms help us see the world through God's eyes. They they help us get into God's world rather than us fitting God into our world. In our Simply Jesus series, we talked about worldview, didn't we? Like a pair of glasses, the way you see the world, your paradigm. And when we look through the Psalms, rather than just looking at the Psalms, it changes the way we connect with God. It gives us a bigger, a bigger view, a bigger vista of who God is. And so we don't just study the Psalms to learn more about the Psalms. We use the Psalms as a lens to see God better. And that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. The Psalms even change the way we see Jesus. He said in Luke 24, 44, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So when we look into the Psalms, we're looking again for the person of Jesus. The Psalms center in on the person of Jesus. They point to Jesus. They tell the story of Jesus. So many of the prophecies found in there are fulfilled in Jesus. And we remember that actually Jesus would have grown up with the Psalms. The Psalms would have been Jesus' hymn book as he grew up as a young man. He would have known the Psalms and sung the Psalms and they would have been so familiar to him. And he quoted the Psalms and used the Psalms time and time again. He had a Psalm-shaped worldview. You might be a regular reader of the Psalms. You might have never read the Psalms. You might be like me, an occasional reader of the Psalms. I want to take us all on a journey together uh, over the next few weeks that we, we go on this journey of discovering the treasure in the Psalms. I want to pray quickly and let's get into so, some of the structure of the Psalms themselves. So, Father, we thank you that you're present here today. We thank you for the gift of your word, and particularly the gift of the Psalms. And though we pray that our hearts will be open to you today, and and you would provide this wonderful growing space for us to grow up together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's begin to look at the Psalms themselves. They're a collection of inspired Hebrew hymns and prayers, and they were to be sung or recited. They used poetic language 
uh, one theologian said that you, the Psalms let you swear without swearing. Because they're so rich in their language and their color that they let us express everything that happens in the human condition. They tell of our creator God ruling. They tell of the injustice. They tell of enemies. They tell of lies and traps and fears. They give this rich tapestry and language to life. But we have to remember the Psalms are poetry. That's what they are. They're they're addressed to the mind through the heart. They're designed to invoke emotions in us, not just to be read in a sterile fashion. In fact, they're deliberately emotive. They're trying to give us, help us express the fullness of our emotions and our humanity. And there's, there's, there's purposeful uh, metaphors in there. The mountains skip like rams. God's a shepherd, a fortress, a shield, a rock. You know, if you took Psalm 23 literally, that Linda was just speaking from, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me by still waters. You could assume that God wanted us all to live a rural life. Us all to be farmers. God doesn't like cities, he likes fields. But this is a motive, poetic language that's supposed to help us understand who God is and understand who we are. You've got 150 psalms in your Bible, yeah? 150. Originally there was 147, but a couple occur twice, 14 and 53. We don't really know when they were written, probably from around 1000 to 400 BC. Maybe they came together in the form in your current Bible around the time that the Israelites were exiled. It's one of the psalms that you'll find in your Bible. And they emphasize a whole range of things. Uh, They speak of us praising God. They also speak of lament, which we'll touch on in this series. They speak of wickedness and injustice. They show us as God, who's the king of the universe. And they tell us that we're God's covenant people and that we've got a special place in his heart. So quickly, the Psalms are arranged uh, into five books. I'll quickly go through them. Book one, Psalm 1 to 41. And these are all mostly written by David. Uh, Book 2, Psalm 42 to 47. Book 3, Psalm 73 to 89. Book 4, Psalm 90 to 106. And Book 5, Psalm 107 to 150. And you can spot the end of each book in your Bible because there's what's called a doxology at the end. So at the end of uh, the first one there, you'll find in Psalm Psalm 41, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. And that, that book ends the end of that particular collection of psalms. And then the next one we have, praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who's done marvellous deeds. And that's the end of that particular section of book. And then Psalm 89, 52, praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Are you seeing a theme here? Praise be to God. At the end of Psalm 106, 48, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Let all the people say amen. Praise the Lord. And then Psalm 150. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. (laughs) There's a song there somewhere, isn't there? (laughs) A lot of the songs that you sing find their roots in the Psalms. That's where most songwriters go for inspiration. So these are the collections of books that are grouped together in your Bible. And they're arranged in sequence. They mirror the story of Israel from the time of David until the Babylonian exile. So uh, these first two... Uh, They concentrate on David as king, books one and two. And that's basically telling the story of of Israel under God's kingship. 
Book three, well, things start to turn for the worst. It assumes the fall of Jerusalem. Uh, in this book, you've got six psalms that say, how long, God? How long? How long? How long do we have to wait before you come and save us? And they tell the story of God's rejection of Israel. It's got the darkest psalm in there, Psalm 88. Anyone read that? It's pretty bleak. Uh, there's only one note of hope in the opening line. It says, the God who saves me. From that point, it goes downhill pretty quickly. It's a very bleak psalm. It, it really plummets the depth of, of the darkness that they are feeling at that particular point in their history. And it ends with a lament in Psalm 89, which is the end of the Davidic covenant. And it says, O oh Lord, where is your former great love, which in your faithfulness you swore to David? That's in Psalm 89. You know, God, where have you gone? Where's the promise? When are you going to come and, and, and save us? A book four, things start to turn around. And it goes back to Moses with a psalm that reminds Israel that God has been the dwelling place. Israel has been the dwelling place of God through all generations. And you've got tr- psalms of trust and thanksgiving emerging in Psalm 91 and 92. And then the book ends with a psalm of praise, 101 to 106. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. And then in book five, psalms of praise. And this assumes the gathering of God's exiles all together back under the headship of God. Psalm 107, let the redeemed of the Lord say this, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands from east and west, from north and south. And so this is the rise, proclaiming God's rule over the nations. And so that gives you some of the themes that flow through the books of the Psalms. And this is helpful because the first three books are predominantly laments. So if if you're feeling like you need to lament, those are the books you can go to in your Bible. You'll find language there that will help you express what's in your heart. And the final two books are predominantly around praise and thanksgiving. So your Psalms aren't arranged in your Bible in an ad hoc fashion. They follow a story, they paint a vista, a timeline, an expression. And the Psalms can really help us. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the themes of lament and thanksgiving, and praise, and trust, and some of the language that's there that's going to help us express what's in our hearts. Because God loves you to express what's in your heart. And I want to free you up. If you've grown up in church and you've been kind of told not to do that, well, I'm sorry. But the Bible says that God desires truth in the innermost parts. And we call to express how we feel to God. So David was great at expressing how he felt to God. When he wrote the Psalms, he used language to express what was going on in his heart. And I want you to feel the same way. You know, in your quiet place, you can, you can swear without swearing. You can express your sadness, your anger, your frustration to God. When you come into church, you don't have to put a face on and pretend to be fine. As we said, fine is great for sandpaper. It's not great for Christians. I love it when people say to me, when I say to people, how are you? And they say, actually, I'm feeling this, or I'm thinking this. That's life, isn't it? Rather than just fine or busy. Those are the two standard answers we tend to get these days from a Christian in church. The Psalms will help us unlock our emotions and our feelings and get more real with each other and with God. So let's look at how the Psalms can help us grow in prayer and our personal walk. We've talked about this sense of creating a growing room. Our culture encourages a culture of the self. Amen? 
it's predominantly a culture of consumerism, of individualism, and entitlement. That's what culture is, is telling you. Culture is telling you to predominantly be occupied with yourself and what you need and what you want. The, start, the Psalms begin to break that down for us. They break down the culture of the self. There's a story of a man who used to take a creative writing class, and it was full of bright young students. But the stuff they were writing was utterly self-absorbed. It was just a retelling of their own experiences. And he got so frustrated with them, not producing anything that was creative or new or fresh, he took them all out of the classroom and he marched them into a graveyard. And he said, right, spend the afternoon walking around and looking at the gravestones. And so they went around, they looked at the gravestones and they imagined the lives of the people that lay there. They read the dates and the brief descriptions. And they came back from the graveyard and they began to write from a bigger perspective, from a bigger imagining, from a bigger worldview. And what the Psalms do, they create in us a bigger reality. They rescue us from self-absorption. They rescue us from seeing everything through our only, the only lens that we possess ourselves. They take us into a bigger vista, a bigger understanding of who God is and who the universe, what the universe is like and what people are like and what the story is. And they put us into a bigger picture. They rescue us from self-absorption and self-limitation. And the Lord puts the Psalms into our hands and he says, practice these prayers and you'll learn the full range and depth of your lives in response to me. As you, as you use these Psalms, as you pray these Psalms, as you study these Psalms, you'll get a bigger picture of who you are and where your life fits in response to me. And so for 1,800 years, the church has used the Psalms in this way. It's only in the past couple of hundred years that they've gone out of fashion and been replaced by other things. But I think we need to rediscover them and discover the treasure that's here. So how can we best use them? Well, one way is it's called the fundamental ascetic form. That sounds quite posh, doesn't it? Those of you in the Anglican Church might know this, but the ascetic bit is the bit that I don't like to do. <laughs> the ascetic bit is the bit I'm going to do, regardless of how I feel, I'm going to do this. Asceticism is a denying of the self, isn't it? So the ascetic form says, basically, I'm going to do this whether I feel like it or not. And it looks like this. I'm going to read through the Psalms every month in this way. Sharp in, take a breath. So week one, I'm going to try and get through Psalms 1 through 37. Week 2, 38 to 74. So on and so on. About five Psalms a day you can read. And if you do that, you'll get through all the Psalms in the month. So I want to put down a little challenge to us all. Should we try and take this challenge on? I've dipped in and out of the Psalms over the years. Uh, and I want to take this challenge on for myself personally. I want to go back into the Psalms. And so we could read five Psalms together per day. And in a month, we'll have read all the Psalms together. Some of you might say, hang on, I can't do all this lifeless liturgy. The Psalms will give you a framework, I promise you, that will help you connect in a deeper way to God. And sometimes we need to be disciplined about the way we approach our devotions with God. We can't just rely on our feelings or our emotions, whether we feel like it or not. We have to say, I'm going to do this. The Apostle Paul said, after I've preached to other people, I discipline myself, I beat my body, so I won't be disqualified from the prize. I will subject myself in the same way. I'll discipline myself because I want to make sure I'm getting the most from God. So it's not a lifeless model we're suggesting. There's, there's godly wisdom here 
historical wisdom here in going deeper with God. St. Augustine, he called the Psalms a school. Uh, St. Ambrose called the Psalms a gymnasium, for those of you who want to do a bit more. It's a place where we go for our daily workouts. It's a place where we can get in shape for life with God. And so let's try and do it together. Let's try and go into the Psalms together over the next few weeks. And you don't have to follow that particular method. You can just read five Psalms a day, and that will get you through all 150 in a month. And we can add other things into our, into our psalm praying that's quite helpful. This is a model that was suggested by Eugene Peterson, bless him. Uh, daily praying the psalms coupled with recollected prayer and corporate worship. And this forms a sort of a psalm sandwich that's really helpful to us. The corporate worship is the bit we've been doing today. We gather together and we worship. Wasn't it great today? These guys have a fantastic job. When we get together, we don't just sing songs, we worship together. It's an expression of the church coming together in unity, expressing their passion and their love for God. It's the icing on the cake of what's going on in your lives, hopefully, on a daily basis. So you come and you bring your personal walk with God, and it's collected together into this wonderful corporate expression of worship. Amen? Amen. Some of you aren't convinced, but that's what it should be. That's what it should be. As we collect and gather together as church, we bring together our walks and we have this wonderful collected corporate celebration. And it adds a a vital dimension to our our expression as a body of Christ because we come together and we sing to the Lord and we, we, we encounter his eminence, his grandness. So, recollected prayer, what's that? Well, it sounds funny, but literally all it means is the the spontaneous praying that you do throughout the day. Lord, please give me a car parking space. Lord, make make the sun shine tomorrow because we've got a barbecue. I'm just pulling your leg. It's all the stuff that you pray throughout the day, all the stuff that comes to mind. It's that continual, ongoing connection with the Lord in prayer. Anything that comes to mind, you bring it to him in prayer. Recollected prayer, that's all it means. And it's that expression of praying continually that talks about in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. And when we have this wonderful sandwich of recollected prayer and psalm praying and corporate worship, we've got a real powerful combination in our lives there for spiritual growth. And we can build it into a a bigger composite picture that looks a little bit like this. So those are the things we've talked about. Worship, praying the psalms, and recollected prayer. And we can add to that a bit of sun and rain of God's word. So we've talked about, you know, <coughs> encouraging each other into the word of God. Wonderful to hear what was just spoke about, wasn't it? Someone encouraged to basically get into Hebrews. They went away and read the book. You know, we have to read it to really be nourished by it. So I encourage you again, what's it going to take for you to get back into the word of God or get into the word of God for the first time? Perhaps it's a new translation. Perhaps it's an app. Perhaps it's something else that's going to help you and encourage you into the Word of God. Not only the Word of God you find in your Bible, but the now Word of God. We encourage you on a Sunday to come forward and and receive ministry. And we encourage the people who are praying for you to listen to God and give you a Word of God. What's God saying into your life now? And that can be so powerful, particularly when God speaks into a situation that the person praying for you knows nothing about but God knows and uses that person to bless you and build your faith. So we want, we want to live under that, that sun and rain of the word of God 
coming down into our lives. And then you've got the soil of your spirituality, the place in which you cultivate your prayer life. The, the, we talked about this soil, a place that encourages growth and fruit. And we can develop that soil with some disciplines. Discipline tool, should I've called it, stay with our garden theme. There's things you can add into this that are going to really help you to grow spiritually and cultivate growth in your life. We talk about five S's here at Riverside. We talk about the importance of Sundays. That's our first S. We're not just interested in people sitting on chairs. We're interested in gathering together to come together and express God's corporate heart. Amen? So we unify when we come together. We, 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 we share our experiences, our joys, our sadnesses. We worship together. We pray for one another. We come under the word together. A powerful expression of something that should be in your tool shed. It isn't just about coming, coming to church. It's about expressing this discipline of your life of gathering together. It says in scripture, in Hebrews actually, 60 years, well 30 years after the start of the church, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. 30 years after the start of the church, people were already saying, I'm not up for that, or it's too difficult, or I've got something else on. We should never give up meeting together as church, not because we just want to sit in a room, but because we want to express God's heart and expression of the church. So Sundays are really important to us. We, we worship together, we journey together, we celebrate together. Our second S is small groups. We really think that small groups are really important to us because that's where you get to know people. That's where you become known to people and you get to know people deeply. That's where you really get your corners knocked off and where you get supported and encouraged. So if you're in Riverside or looking to be part of Riverside, get involved in a small group. It's really important because that's where you'll grow and that's where you'll develop deep friendships and trusted relationships. Our third S is serving. We, we talk about serving. Our lives should have an outflow, shouldn't they? We can't just be people who receive him. We have to have a, a flow out. Uh, even our king, Jesus, came as a servant, came to serve. And we carry that expression in his life in the church. And you come with your gifts and your talents and your resources. And God says, how are you going to steward them? What are you going to do with them? And Keely, bless her, spend, every six months will say to you, does anyone want to serve on the rotor? And what's the answer? No. <laughs> we, we don't like to volunteer for things. We love to be recruited, don't we? Jesus recruited the 12 disciples. He recruited 72. But it'd be amazing if we had a culture in church whereby actually we say, yes, I'll serve. I'll help. And if we all help and we all serve, we all model what our servant Jesus did, then church becomes a vibrant place of expression. So I encourage you, if you've not managed to get involved in some way serving yet, get involved. It's a great way to meet friends and a great way to express what God's put in your heart. We talk about the fourth S, we talk about supporting the vision. This is done through stewarding what God's given us. We all have time, we all have energy, we all have resources. How do we use those to support the vision of the church? We don't talk much about money here, but you all sit in an incredible facility that cost about two million pounds. Okay? And it didn't come out of the clouds, it didn't come out from a stalk, it didn't come from a, a sugar daddy. It didn't come, from, it didn't come from anybody else. It came from within. It came from the generosity of the people that are here in this church. And as we look to continue to minister, as we look to develop phase three, again, we will look to become an increasingly generous church. So I encourage you, if you want to be part of Riverside again, think about how that affects the things that you steward. 
I think it was Moody who said Christians need two conversions, one for their soul and one for their wallet. <laughs> so is your, is your money coming under God's stewardship? Is your, are you allowing God to grow in your area? Of, and that fits really nicely with this particular talk. We want to be growing continually. We want to have a growth mindset. We want to have hearts that are growing. We want to have characters that are growing. We want to be growing in our love for each other and for our community. And when we add these things into our garden picture, plus occasional maybe you want to throw in other disciplines like fasting or journaling or different things that help you, confession, you end up with a really vital place for spiritual growth. They bring together all this growing room for us. And that's what's created as we bring these different elements together. And the Psalms are so important in this piece because they give us this additional language to help us grow. They take us beyond ourselves and they deepen our understanding of God. So if, I want to encourage you over these next few weeks as you are reading the Psalms to get honest with God. How are you feeling? How are you feeling about things? Let God use the Psalms to help you express what's going on in your life. Are you expressing joy, disappointment, anger, frustration, unmet promises? What's going on? Get real with God. Express to him what you're feeling. Articulate to him what's in your heart. Cry out to God. Get freed up in that place of connecting with him. The challenge for us over the next five weeks is to grow. Amen? To grow together to grow to become more like Christ, to grow in our connection with each other, to grow in our understanding of God, to grow in our understanding of, of what church is, what God is to us in the church. We want to grow. So I want to encourage you to stand together. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.